Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, a CBS sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson to ask you, Chris, an important question. Are you ready? I think so. Why do I do this? Because... I wrote in my three things Sunday morning about what it would take to get West Virginia to the tournament. And I got a text from not a someone, but like someone I really respect. And it was just um, a screenshot with a highlighted part about whether or not six or seven wins would get it done and the eyeballs emoji, which made me think, why do I do this? Like, not cover a basketball team and a football team that can't get out of its way lately, but why am I constantly optimistic? Is that a bad thing or a good thing? Uh, It might be be a good thing right now. I think we need all the optimism we can get around here. We'll talk a little football, which needs some optimism. We'll begin with some basketball, Chris, because West Virginia 0-5 gets a win, gets a loss. Story Saturday at the Coliseum. Similar to the games before, games certainly there for the taking. And then I think what's becoming frequently common now is what happens during the 40 minutes is a story, but also what happens after the game is a story, too. And that's not unusual for Bob Huggins, especially when things have gone south lately, too. But some things about the end of the game or after the game, the explanations, the things that he said, the players said, um, very dour again, wouldn't uh, the happiest place to be, but that's kind of part and parcel of being one and six in the toughest conference in the country. And now you're looking at legitimately now, Chris, having to be probably uh, above 500 team the rest of the way just to be on the doorstep of the NCAA tournament. Um, the answer is 50 50. They do or they don't. But what type of chances 
do they have for the NCAA tournament? And it's just even a worthy conversation to have. Are we out of material? I don't know. No, I don't think I think it's absolutely worthy. Uh, I mean, you look at it, it's absolutely bizarre. I'm trying to think of recent um, you know, resumes like this where West Virginia is one and six in Big 12 conference play. And you you know, when you say that out loud, they're eleven and eight overall, one and six in conference play. You're not even considering them for the tournament, right? Like you if you just put it out there like that. Mm-hmm. But their schedule is so tough, and they've played so many key games, so many quad one games, the most in the country, I believe, or tied for the most in the country at the very least. Um, West Virginia is number 30 in the net ranking, and number 30 in the net ranking is in. Like, without quite, if if I just told you, hey, this team's ranked 30 in the net, you're like, oh, yeah, that guy's, that, that team's in for sure. No doubt. I am not so sure. And, and, I think that's why we're having this conversation. I think that's why I wouldn't say you're like out of line being too optimistic with it. I think it's a very reasonable conversation. No, West Virginia is alone in first place now. I think somebody must have got bumped up, maybe Pitt or the Xavier game back in a quad one because they have 11 quad one games. No one, I think a couple other teams have 10 or one other team has 10. That's Kansas. West Virginia has 11 of them. That's how tough their schedule's been so far. It's one thing to have the conversation about can a team that was 0-5 is 0-6 make the tournament because it has happened or there's something has happened before. Uh, 2016-2017, Oklahoma State was 0-6 and then went 9-3 and to end Oof. the season. Um, made the tournament. And then, let's see, Baylor in 2014, 1-6 and had a five-game losing streak. And then finish nine and nine. So it's two different things. Yes, it can happen. A team that is one and six or even zero and six can make the tournament because it has happened. The question then is, can this West Virginia team make the tournament? Um, I don't know. Like nine and nine will absolutely get you in. Eight and 10 will absolutely get you in. Seven and 10, you're going to have to worry about the size of the bubble. You know, who's on it? What majors are there? You know, for example, um, College of Charleston, if they don't win their tournament, is that a two-bid league? I can't believe I'm having a conversation about the College of Charleston here. But there might be leagues like that. Like, what happens in the in Gonzaga's conference? They don't look unbeatable anymore. Does that become a two-bid league? Are there multiple two-bid leagues? And all of a sudden, does that bubble get smaller? There's no way to know right now. So the best thing that West Virginia can do is get to and beyond seven. I have no idea how that happens, Chris. Because don't forget, they get a Baylor or they get a, an Auburn game in between next weekend too, which could be a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know, but like that's a top fifteen program that probably sees a chance to to get a win on the road against a Big Twelve team just as much as West Virginia sees a chance to get a home win outside of the Big Twelve. There's nothing easy left, and then again, yeah, it can happen because it has happened. That's not really the question I'm asking. The question that I think people are talking about is why are you doing this? Because this team doesn't have a chance to get, you know, at this point six, seven more wins in the conference. And then, you know, if you're short of that, can you do stuff in the conference tournament? And then what's enough there? My point being that the long odds are, are long for a reason here, are they not? Yeah. Uh, first, I'll start by saying if West Virginia goes six and five to finish out conference play, which would put them at seven and 11, given that seven and 11 uh, record in big 12 play, they're in. I, I 
feel like, pretty confident. Okay. I do. I, I think, you know, they're on the bubble right now. And if they can play above 500 ball when they go at Texas, at Baylor, at Kansas, at Iowa State, Kansas State, that's, you know, the double-edged sword of this league is that it is so incredibly tough, but you always have opportunities. And I think if you go six and five with what's left on this schedule, uh, I believe I had it pulled up the other day, like the remaining schedule for West Virginia is top five toughest in the country. Mm-hmm. So if they can go six and five, I think they're, if they go seven, you know, finish seven and 11, they're in no matter what happens in that Auburn game, the Auburn game, win that one. And that's a little cherry on top. But of course, like you said, why are we having this conversation? I, I We're making the assumption that a team that is one and six in Big 12 play is going to all of a sudden go six and five, especially with the fact that West Virginia has already played, let's say, the easiest games yeah. in Big 12 play. I mean, at least as far as the road games are concerned, like they've already played at the three, I would argue, the three easiest places to play on the road, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. I mean, when they played at Kansas State, Bob Huggins, every chance he gets, this is not the first year that he said this. He said that's the easiest place to play in the Big 12. It's such a weird vendetta. I don't get yeah. it. <laughs> and he says it every, like, this is not, he said it last year, and he might have said it the year before that. He said it at least two times, like last year and this year. And I don't think he's wrong. Oklahoma State, they have the small, I mean, I know their gym's a little bit smaller than I think than most, but they have the lowest home attendance in the Big 12. And that game was, during winter break mm-hmm. um oklahoma is also one of the lowest i think they're seventh or eighth out of ten in home attendance and west virginia went there and played like they've played the easier half of the big 12 schedule right now and went one and six mm-hmm. and now yeah. we're expecting them to go six, or not expecting them to but talking about them going six and five in the on the back half of the easier of this yep. schedule that's going to be a lot tougher. It's so weird because I can remember covering Big East teams and one year that West Virginia didn't make it and won the NIT 07, uh, B-Lines last year. So looking at, okay, get to a number, 20 wins, you know, what do you do? And you're feeling like, all right, they got to beat these teams. They can't lose this one. They got to beat this one and this one, this one. Because, like, your, your schedule had soft spots. This one, it almost doesn't matter. Like every time they play somebody, that's going to be a good win and not necessarily an embarrassing loss. So there's no bad losses and there's only good wins. That's good. The opposite is also true because um, West Virginia is probably still a good win. Don't get me wrong there, but like they're playing someone who's going to be a good opponent every game. There's no soft spot, so they can get hurt just as much as they can get healthy with the schedule. And and we'll see what happens here. I'm looking at teamrankings.com. They do, I think, pretty accurate probability stuff. Um they have him at 18% chance to finish 15 and 16, 21.5% to finish 16 and 15, 19.5% to finish 17 and 14. Um, those are the three most likely outcomes. And I think if you look at the schedule, you're like, okay, they can probably get to one of those three. That seems about right. Um, but that's only four, five, six more wins, not even getting to that seven point. Um, is it too soon, Chris, to say they got to go 2 0 this week? And I mean that, what, what I mean by that is they can't lose to Texas Tech. Like another road loss. One of the easiest games left in the schedule. I'm using air quotes in the office here. And then to get a quality non-conference win against Auburn. Again, that one won't hurt you necessarily if you lose it. But lose that lose the Texas Tech game. Man, now you're one and seven. You're not the only one and seven team in the conference. You're at the bottom. 
alphabetically head to head. And you really have almost no margin of error for the for for the the games that you gotta win. You have to win at home at that point. And then if you lose the Auburn game, that takes away some wiggle room that you might create with a loss in the schedule at home or on the road. Because if you lose a game somewhere, but you say, actually, we beat Auburn though, that does tighten things up a little bit, can help you out. It could be in the bubble conversation, very helpful. And if they lack one or both this week, if they lose to Texas Tech, or if they win and they don't get that that helper in a non-conference home game at noon against Auburn, the schedule doesn't do you too many favors the rest of the way, and it kind of lines up to maybe give you something this week. But again, there's there's just no guarantees or knowns with this team right now, which makes this seem like you know now or never is very strong in January. But they don't get it going sooner or later. They're, they're in serious serious trouble if they're not already. Yeah, I think this week is a, a narrative setter for West Virginia and for the rest of the way. Cause I like it. You go and you lose at Texas Tech in Lubbock, and it, it's hilarious. And I know you did air quotes and stuff like, "Hey, the easiest game on the schedule is going to Lubbock and playing Texas Tech," and you're not wrong. Um, it's probably the easiest, or not the easy, the easiest road game remaining on the schedule for West Virginia. Um, you lose that one. And say you lose to Auburn, then it's like, hey, you're just a bad team. West Virginia is just a bad team that had a tough schedule uh, or or gamed gamed the, you know, the metrics with their non-conference schedule. That's just a mediocre team. You win at Texas, and then you go and win against Auburn, who's currently ranked 16th, I believe. Um, we're recording this before the uh, top 25 release later Monday, um, so I don't know where they'll end up, but they're 16th right now. You go and you beat Texas Tech, you make it clear, hey, we're not the worst team in the Big 12. And then you beat Auburn and you make it clear, hey, look, that team, West Virginia, who is ninth out of 10 teams in the Big 12 conference, just beat one of the best teams in the SEC. The Big 12 is just tough. And you got to give West Virginia credit for that. That And you can set the narrative for the rest of the year that, hey, the Big 12 is just that good. And maybe we should rethink how we evaluate, you know, those eighth and ninth teams in the Big 12 Conference, especially a team like West Virginia that had such a stellar non-conference resume. Do they? Not according to the eye test, but according to the metrics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> like, I, I didn't feel like it was that overwhelming what they did in non-conference play. Um, I mean, really, like, Pitt being better than I think some people thought helps a little bit, but they're not even that good anymore. You know, they've kind of fallen off in recent weeks, but the two good teams they faced, the two best teams they faced, they lost to by double digits. So maybe the NCAA tournament committee doesn't look too closely at that. Just, just, keep handing them sheet after sheet of the net rankings, like just a stack of papers. And it's just 50 sheets of the net rankings over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, UAB is 13 and seven. Yeah. Like again, a couple of those teams that they thought might be good are not that good. Yeah. Strange year. Post-game comments, Bob Huggins to be expected. Um, Seems devastated by this once again. Apologetic to the fans, the people in West Virginia. You've heard that before. You heard it again Saturday if you listen to the postgame. Um, not sure people caught Trey Mitchell, though. A lot of it's just 
let's hear the head coach go and the players players are oftentimes um pretty empty in post game especially when they lose and that's been the norm lately um Trey Mitchell the reality of the situation is we pick and choose when we want to play together we pick and choose the moments that we want to move the ball and we want to work together and we want to screen for our teammate and get him open and we pick and choose the moments when we want to say you know what forget everyone else I'm going to try and do something myself it's a man who played 40 minutes, he got 11 shots, and did not take an attempt from the field in the final seven minutes. He made a three off a pretty good one-on-one move, sent a player into the vortex with a crossover, and put the team up 52-50. Did not score or attempt a shot the rest of the game. I don't think that what I just explained to you and what I just read to you are unrelated. I think he's probably frustrated. It's a guy who was going up from about 11 points a game to 14 points a game and then get six and a six and 12 back to back six points. They win. It's okay. 12 points, 11 shots. And it, it, it wasn't perfect. I think he might've been forcing some things because he was trying to make something happen. But if you're playing him 40 minutes, I think you've isolated that he is a benefit on both sides of the floor. He's a creator on offense, adequate defender. He can rebound. I mean, better than people that should maybe rebound better than he does. And again, he's effective on offense. You can put him in the high post. You can put him in the low post. He can, he can score from the triple threat, which not a thing you see a whole lot now from a forward. He can do that. Playing 40 minutes, you figured that part out. Get him 11 shots and none in the final seven minutes. Problematic. And then was he part of the problem at the end too? Because, man, Chris, I don't know if it's because people get hypnotized watching the ball bounce or if they just kind of throw their arms up because they're trying to feed the post in a close game. But that offense really just kind of got stapled to the floor in those final few minutes, and it just kind of devolved into Kedrian Johnson bouncing and looking and bouncing and then just going to the basket and kind of crossing his fingers and hoping he gets fouled. And that's not healthy for anybody around him, but that maybe necessarily isn't his fault. Um, How do you diagnose the final several minutes of that game and weave in what maybe your best offensive player has to say about the situation? Uh, I think he's right. I mean, I don't think he's, you know, blameless in what's going on i I talked about it in a post game about he got opportunities Mm -hmm. i mean he 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 played 40 minutes so uh we're talking about rate rate a shot rate here he did get the most shots on the team uh he also had what five turnovers so he was getting the ball a lot and a lot of the time he was falling away he has got to go straight up or towards the basket when he gets the ball in the post Uh, there were just times where he getting the ball in the post and he'd turn around and he'd land near the free throw line or near the elbow. Um, but his point about passing the ball, moving the ball around, it is 100% correct. They they just violently swing from a team that is passing the ball like the Harlem Globetrotters to a team that dribbles the ball like it's an and one mixtape. Um in I talked about in the TCU game, they were swinging uh, their secondary break and they were swinging the ball. They were moving it around. And then it kind of stopped in the second half and TCU came right back. This game, they can't score. They can't shoot. And the ball's just not moving at all. And there was one play in particular. Maybe I'll go find it, put the GIF up on Twitter or something or on our board where <clears throat> I believe the ball got inside. Somehow it went inside out to the wing right in front of the West Virginia bench. And whoever it was that had it there, I think it might have been Emmett Matthews. The guy, the defender for Texas came charging out at him. And about 
10 feet to his left was a wide open shooter. And Emma just held it. And you could see Huggins and Alex Ruoff and a couple other people on the bench just like, what are you doing? And then after giving the defender time to get up and cover that guy, then he passes it to him. And still, if that person, I believe it might have been Keaty Johnson, Hmm. turns and looks to his left, there's a wide open guy ready for a shot. And he holds it until the guy gets defended. And you see Huggins and Ruoff and the bench throw their arms up again. And then Keaty dribbles it a couple times and doesn't go anywhere and dribbles a little more and then kind of drives to the basket. And and I can't remember how it ended, but it was just watching the bench be like, oh my God, what are you guys doing? Just swing the ball. And there seems to be a lot of frustration about this because you, 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 you can see players talking to each other. You can see guys screaming from the bench watching the ball just dribble in place. And I think they get, I, I don't understand what flips the switch. Like I think is my biggest take here and maybe Trey Mitchell's biggest take too. Like I don't, there are just times where they move the ball beautifully. And then other times where they just hold on to it and they just wait too long and they just don't pass it. And then when they do decide to pass it, it's too late. And that's why they end up with 20 turnovers. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 20, amazing. And 11 coming from their two primary ball handlers. We're talking about Kedrian Johnson, 6, Mitchell, 5. Yeah, Mitchell has 11 shots. And that's, a that's I don't know, like that did lead the team. But I just, man, I just wonder if that's enough and that they should be coming from other places. Um, but also 40 minutes, and Huggins is not a guy who just plays people for 40 minutes, especially this year. Um, that's that's like Kevin Jones, Javon Carter kind of stuff, too, and think about what those guys did and, and their roles in the offense. Different, I get that, but like yeah, Mitchell's a pretty gifted scorer there, and I think that Huggins likened him to like a, a Deshaun Butler or a Kevin Jones early in the year, um, and you, you just don't see that. And again, he those two guys are on good teams, too, right? Those were good players on good teams, and Man, they went four for 11 in the game. You're like, what happened? Like, why didn't they get more shots? We'll see. But then they probably would have made some more things happen to him. Maybe not giving it away five times as well. Solution time, Chris. Um, I don't know that there's a, a strategic or tactical, I should say, like an X and O fix here. Um, 
don't think they're going to run like the the hard weave. And they're not going to turn to Princeton. So maybe one of the answers is just to like sustain their their stretches of good play, pass it better, make more shots. I don't know. Defensively, I said this before. Like they're they're very quietly playing a lot of point drop, and it's not like it's making a big difference. Yet they're still sticking with it because it's probably better than their man to man, which that's concerning. I'm not sure what they do differently there. Maybe they mix things up. I just don't think they're going to press because they don't have the players to do it. And it's really hard to press and not foul the way we're watching these games. I would say in particular in the second half of games. So I don't know what they do there. And then rotation. We might be able to get into this a little bit. It widens and narrows, and I can't figure that one out. Guys who don't play for a half or a game are playing big minutes in the first half. Um, guys who are good players and should be on the floor are not. Joe Toussaint, seven minutes in the first half, three in the second. And Huggins says he pretty much forgot about him in the second half because he was trying to get so many things going. That might be, um, I don't know, symptom or sickness, I guess, of all the changes in the bench. We'll see. Probably isn't a 10 or 11 man team. And then in addition to that, we're 10 for 13 and scored 27 points in 10 minutes playing a small ball lineup against Oklahoma. They played two teams that played stretches without a center. TCU and Texas and Texas didn't even really have a center. They did not play one possession of that lineup with Mitchell at the five the last two games, not one possession. I understand maybe not playing it for 10 minutes at a time, but not one possession won the game against TCU, but man, they really needed like a life preserver on offense at some stage and didn't go to that. And then the same thing Saturday against Texas. Okay. First half. And then really stagnant again in the second half. In addition to that, did not have Jimmy Bell because of foul trouble. Did not get much out of Muhammad Wagi because he just kind of turned into a landmine out there. And then kind of wedged in James Oconquo, who a week ago they said they couldn't play because he wasn't a scorer and they needed points. And he did okay. It's quite a carousel to keep spinning out there as far as lineups and players comes. Yeah, the that TCU game, and I had... You know, I do those rapid reactions for the games, and I start writing them depending on how the game's going sometime in the second half. And I think I started writing them with, like, finally, they are shortening the bench, and it is working. And I think at that time it was, you know, you're starting five. Uh, Joe Toussaint had played a bunch of minutes. Wagi had come in for a handful of minutes just to give um, Jimmy Bell a breather. And then for some reason, I think, you know, Seth Wilson was in for two minutes and then right back out. And I was like, and that's it. Like, it's basically been a six and a half man rotation. And West Virginia's found success with it. That's great. Maybe it needs to stick like this. And then like right after, I think right after I started typing that, James Oconquo comes in in that game. This is against TCU. And Again, I think Akakwa is a good player. I think may, he might even be like your second best big man or best big man, depending on the matchup. But when the guy doesn't play for the first 30 minutes of the game and then you throw him in to like a two point game against a top 15 team, what are we doing here? Like, no one's in foul trouble. They were, there was no foul trouble with those guys. Like, I don't understand that move. And then, yeah, like you said, against Texas. Kobe Johnson, who had did not even play yeah. in the previous game, is playing nine minutes. Uh, Pat Sumnick, who did not play, played three minutes. Um, Aconquo had to play more because, as you noted, you know Jimmy Bell, some foul trouble. Wagi, like just, I mean, three fouls in four minutes. It's, that's tough. 
Um, and, and foul trouble maybe tweaked those things this past time. Um, so I wonder how much of that matters because, again, Keedy was in foul, some foul trouble. Uh, you try out Seth Wilson. Joe Toussaint, I think, is the thing that just blows my mind. I mean, first, before we get to that, needs to be shorter. Seven-man, eight-man rotation, period, end of story. Like, this is big boy college basketball. You're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Get over it. Hurt their feelings. Tell them, sorry, you're not part of rotation. Get better. and you know, Or be ready in case of an injury or foul trouble. But seven, eight-man rotation, that's it. Because I think there's a clear top four or five on this team. And then there's a drop-off. But the Toussaint situation from Texas game is – I mean, that's inexcusable. <clears throat> to put it bluntly, like you can't – yeah, as you, as you noted, Huggins said he forgot about him for much of the second half. Like how do you forget about the guy that might be your fifth or sixth best player? Like he's one of your definitive rotation guys, arguably a starter, and you forget about him. That's That shouldn't happen. And he and to Huggins' credit, he took full blame for that. So I'm not saying anything he doesn't already know or admitted to. It's just a, a weird situation. Well, he's not alone to blame. Someone has to tug him on the cape and say, "Hey, coach, uh, Joe, maybe sometime." And maybe that's the state of affairs in the bench right now. Is that it's that tense that you're you're not going to tug on his cape and say something for fear of what might happen because you think he probably does know and he maybe is up to something or working something and. Maybe he's saving him for the last six outs of the game, so to speak, right? Um, no, didn't do that. It's strange. Chris, last question before we switch to football. Uh, mm-hmm. Jamie Dixon said after the game, talking about how good the the conference is, everything you've already heard. And he said, do we have a team as good as anyone that's won a national championship in the recent years? That would be Kansas and Baylor. Um, ultimately, this goes into how many teams you get into the tournament and how deep they go. You're looking at maybe like two top five teams this week. And then three, maybe four in the top 10. I'm speaking of Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, TCU probably. Man, if you told me that would be the top 10 in the beginning of the year, no way. Um, is there a national championship or how about this, a Final Four team in this conference? Uh, yes. Okay. I still, th- I still think, even though they've lost this week, I still think it's Kansas, by the way. Are you puzzled by their home performances? Because I am. I am as well. I just I just think they have the wings to just do a lot of damage against most teams in the Big 12 tournament and I think it's just going to they're going to sh- just shell shock some people with the way their wing the length of their wings cuz they are so many people are going to look oh Jalen Wilson scored 30 some points the other day and it's like and, and and Grady Dick can shoot from half court and you just would be like hey also don't forget these guys are great on defense like their length makes it so tough to score on on them. So I I think it's Kansas as the final four team. I don't want to say I'm not uh, I think Kansas State is fraudulent because they've proven that they are at least somewhat legitimate. Same with Iowa State. Um Texas I think has some flaws, but they got a few players. TCU I'm not so sure about. You know, I'm I'm staring here at the top twenty or so in the in the net rankings at these Big 12 teams, but I think it's still Kansas. I'm a huge fan of TCU. From late on last season to now, like every time I watch a play, I really like what they do. Their personnel is pretty good to me. If they had a three-point shooter, I would put them in that conversation as a Final Four team. Bold, I know, but like I just think that that's something that's 
that their experience, their depth, like some of their numbers are how much experience they have and how rare that is, um, how many points they get off the bench in the regular and how rare that is and the way they attack you in transition. I think the Jamie Dixon's kind of gimmick on offense that maybe isn't great in half court and doesn't shoot it, and he just says go. Like play defense, get a miss and go, grab a rebound and go. Um, and they did when, man, when they when they turn that up, they are really, really fun to watch and tough to beat. And they they barnstormed Kansas with their transition the other day. That has never gotten their front foot. But they just don't have shooting. And I, I would feel a heck of a lot better if they had somebody who could shoot forty percent from three or just make make a defense react a little bit. Um and they're not small in the middle. Lampkin probably plays maybe half the game, but he's effective. And when you get a team that doesn't have a big, which is increasingly common. Um, he's a handful. They're fun. They're tough. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Kansas City should be fun. Transition. Football. Chris. We've talked so many times about the portal and the coaching staff, and we can finally close the door on this a little bit. Yes and no on the portal. You've covered that, what the dates do and don't mean. We can say the coaching staff is done. Let's not assess grades on things because it's going to be incomplete, obviously, until they start playing. So that's not really a great conversation to have. We'll get some answers today from Neil Brown. He has his, as promised, uh, off-season wrap, I guess, news conference at noon today on Monday. We'll get some answers, hopefully, to some questions. Um, but it seems to me that as long as we've been kind of walking around here trying to figure out what they're going to do, we have the same questions, and, and we have some answers, but not all of them. And my case in point being here, as you and I have discussed here off the air and some other times, they were pretty active in the transfer portal. They hit their areas of need and weaknesses and places they wanted to turn into a strength or get stronger. They still have some capital spend and maybe more. And I wonder they don't revisit some of the places that they already addressed. Like maybe they will get another receiver. Maybe they will add to their secondary here. Um, it just seems like we're we're on this conveyor belt. And it's not going in a straight line. It's just kind of going in a circle right now. Yeah, I think this this is just the nature of transfer portal recruiting. Um, you know, when they, when you have high school recruiting, they have a, a board of the guys that they want in a position, and they don't rank it like one through 100. It's kind of in tiers, I guess, of guys you're ready to take, guys that maybe you're not ready to take, and guys that you're just kind of evaluating from afar. And when it comes to transfer portals, that is, those boards are, are smaller, obviously. You know, the pool is smaller, um, and things move a lot quickly, a lot quicker. Uh, those high school boards, those evolve over the course of like two or three years because you've already got guys on your board as as their sophomores and freshmen in high school. This board evolves in the span of, you know, 45 days because that's when it's open. And and it, again, it'll stay open beyond this as far as visits go. But things were different. Things changed. We talked about the MOBA situation, how he was a guy that <clears throat> I – reported was going to commit and then was told he wasn't didn't have an offer and then he did have an offer and that was because things changed west virginia was still trying to make things happen behind the scenes with a few guys and and mulba was the nice pickup for the may you know again they're trying to get guys for spring obviously i think that really is a is a priority and mulba was never going to be here for the spring so that was one factor um but the other guys i think what there's so there's eight commits mulba's one or Transfer commits coming in May. Of the other seven, all seven are supposed to be spring football. West Virginia has announced six. Um, hmm. The one they have not announced was Keyshawn Cobb, who the day he committed two weeks ago, he told me he was not even going home from his official visit 
he was enrolled right away and just staying. That was not the case. Um, we've seen posts from him on social media of him at various places, uh, at different gyms, not with the team. Not sure what's going on there, but he is enrolled. He is in the directory and capital P people that I speak with about whether or not he's, there's a concern. They keep telling me there's not a concern, but I feel like each day that goes by, there is a concern. Oh boy. Yeah. I, I know, I know how the people listening to this can get, but we'll see. I mean, transfers recruiting is so different and enrollment is so different. And you covered it with the Parker Grothaus thing where what he committed in March and, mm-hmm. or, and like was on campus the next day. I was like, how did that happen? It's all a little funny, especially with different colleges on, you know, some on semesters, some on trimesters, different enrollment dates, all that stuff. As long as he was enrolled, which he was before, what was that Friday? The, was it the 13th? Mm-hmm. That was the ad drop date. As long as he was enrolled and registered by that date, you know, I guess technically you could still show up, you know, I guess there's at some point there has to be a breaking point, but he can show up later. So doing the math here, um, two left. That's a very elastic number though. Correct. Yeah. And then probably still in the market for a receiver. Probably wouldn't turn down a defensive back. Um, probably wouldn't go for a quarterback and probably doesn't need a running back. But like, I certainly had the same conversation in December. Where do they go now, though? Do they just wait for post-spring? Because there are still people who are, well, I mean, they're in the portal. They're not going in the portal, but, like, there is talent out there. Do they just kind of go back for the, like, the, I don't know, the uh, the second cut players who said maybe the first time or that kind of see who's still there? Where do they just wait till the spring is over? Uh, I think they're going to, for those that are VIP members on our site, you know, we have our transfer offer thread and I mm, trimmed it down the other day, you know, removed guys who had already committed to other places so that it was only players who were still uncommitted. And I mean, obviously that really limits it down to just a handful of those guys. And and I think some of those guys, especially that got in late in the portal, like, you know, just a couple of weeks ago might be still up for visits later might be coming for a visit <clears throat> this weekend uh, again you know how they like to keep that secret might be coming in spring they can't come in february just like everybody else it is a dead period even for transfer visitors but you will see guys come in in march and april and then with the potential to enroll in may um but numbers wise they got eight back in december neil brown said eight to twelve so you're already in that window According to our official scholarship chart, which I'm told is accurate at the moment, they're at 83. And that is if everybody who is committed and signed gets in. So two more spots. But um, I've been told, you know, obviously expect further um, attrition. And, And you touched on it last time. That's not a West Virginia thing. That's a college football thing. It's going to continue to happen a couple guys after spring football, especially those guys that find out, you know, hey, you're third or fourth on the depth chart. And they're going to find their way out. So we say two spots left. I think it could be upwards of six um, by the time you get into the summer. Nine days on National Signing Day. What? Can I pull a Bob Huggins? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, what? 
today, right? Isn't that what he did during the early signing period? Definitely. Somebody, That's asked him a, somebody asked him a question about early signing day, which was that day. And he was like, what? I mean, obviously joking a little bit, but I, I don't think there'll be too much uh, movement for West Virginia on this signing day. It's a tough sell. They're going to need a splash. Please come to the website and click as much as possible. Thanks. Yeah, they're going to need a tough sell. Like last year they had Grim Harrell and the eventual, but like seemingly inevitable JT Daniels question. Like that was, I felt like throughout March and April, we knew that was going to be the outcome. If not, Harrell would get somebody. Um, You don't see that zip right now. And like you can sell a Devin Carter and a Montre Miller, maybe some of the people in between, but that's difficult. Um, and so I guess they're going to go around again and try to make this work and we'll see what happens. But it, it does seem like the shackles are, are pretty obvious right now and they're dealing with them and trying to break free from them. And to we'll see what Brown is able to accomplish. I'm sure we'll come back and talk about that afterwards. It's a, I'm not sure it's like a, a landmark day for him, but I think as far as him tying off one part of his offseason, which was tumultuous, I'm sure, and then trying to look ahead to something coming up, um, kind of a big deal for him to be able to talk about what he did in the coaching staff, which if you do like a logic chain, it's it's pretty convoluted what he did and what the Mountaineers were and were not able to do. And what that's an important part of it. What could they do? What did they try to do? We'll never know. Like no one's going to ever tell you that on the record. I have heard it was hard and there were a lot of no's and no thank yous and not now's. And you're eventually left with what you have right now, which is just no way they drew this up in the offseason. So to hear that explained delicately without hurting anybody's feelings or yelling at anybody who asks a particularly pointed question. <clears throat> we'll see how that goes. Anything else, Chris? Yeah, I'll take 30 seconds to answer the question I think you were leading me to, and mm. I just never answered it. What's left? Where do they go for these transfer portal uh, positions? Um, let's say four spots, uh, definitely another wide receiver, uh, definitely another defensive back. I think more cornerback than safety, but could be either one or it could be a guy that could play both positions. Uh, based off the offers, it seems like they're trying to get another offensive lineman on campus. Never can't have enough. I think, you know, I think they're feeling pretty good about that room. That's as good as that room has been since Neil Brown has been here, but they're still, even as of last week, extending offers at the offensive line position. So got to include it on the list and will linebacker. Um, it's not one that I don't think we talked about much early, but X low is gone. Will Dixon got benched towards the end of the last season, more or less. And your other option right now is Raleigh Collins, who was playing Spear and still needs to bulk up to truly play that Will Will linebacker position. And they have been recruiting that hard. So keep an eye on those four spots, DB, wide receiver, Will linebacker, and offensive line. We'll ask the questions. We'll get the answers. We'll bring it back the next time we speak. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then. Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.